In this series, we're going to talk about what it means to, I mean, first get clear on how to follow God. And the starting point for each one of us is the starting point. I mean, I don't care where you're at on your journey of faith. You may be starting out. You may be just wondering about it. You may be way down the road on your journey. The starting point is right where you're at today. And we believe that God calls and he invites us to be a part of what he's doing in the world, to represent his love and grace and his ways with the people around us. And that's what we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. So as we think about calling, the first question is, what is it? What does it mean to have a calling? What does it mean to be called? And here is, uh, there, there are lots of dictionary definitions you can get. Here's one that's kind of a good summary of many. A strong inner desire to pursue a particular profession or vocation. And I think uh, we, we get that. Um, you know, many of us, we've wrestled with, what are we supposed to do with our life? I mean, what am I going to do with my life? And I can look back into my early 20s, and I did a lot of wrestling. A lot of struggling trying to figure out what direction I was going to take. And it goes back to high school where I had no idea where I was going in life. And once I realized that I probably wasn't going to have a major league baseball career or be on the professional golf tour, um, I'm like, I got to go to college. So I applied to some colleges, got into a college, started in accounting. And it took about a year or so. And I realized, even though I was just starting out, I don't like accounting at all. This is not me. So I switched to marketing because I figured I could sell stuff. I'd sold stuff before. I figured I can go out and I can sell stuff. So I got a business school marketing degree. And when I was done, I still didn't have any idea where I was going in life, but I knew I could sell stuff. I got a job and I started selling stuff. And after about three or four years of selling stuff, I was starting to wonder, is this really all there is for me in my life? To sell stuff. And I started to wrestle through, you know, is there a calling? Does God, I mean, when I started um, college, I really didn't have any direction in terms of God. After college, I did, and I started to wonder, you know, can I have a sense of calling in terms of what I'm doing with my life in the world? Because I think when we, when we consider the definition, is it only about vocation or profession? I think we all get inside, no, it's, it's more than that. I mean, what if calling is more about a way of life? And so we go kind of to a big picture first. What's the vision, the calling for our overall life? And then we start to work toward the particular in terms of how do I use my gifts and skills and abilities to live that out? Well, I want to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is talking, and I'll give more uh, background next week on what's happening with the Corinthian church. Um, but Paul, in this, uh, in this section, is giving a defense of his ministry, of, of what he's doing, because he had lots of critics. He had lots of people who were against him. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-6. through 6. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, 
but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All right, so there's a number of things that I want us to think about and consider from this text. Um, And first off, I mean, have you ever requested someone to write a letter of reference for you? And I think most of us say, yeah, yeah. I mean, it starts typically with a job, right? You know, I can think, or school, I can think back to when I, um, you know, got out of school and I was looking at my first job. I asked a couple people to write references for me. When I was going to graduate school or applying to seminary, I needed some letters of recommendation. When I left seminary, I needed some letters recommending me for what I was going to do. And we know how important those are. Now, the interesting thing about those letters is they say really nice stuff about us, don't they? I mean, hopefully they do, right? Um, I can think of uh, one letter that I got as I was leaving seminary graduate school and starting my first job as a pastor. One of the letters that was written was by... um, a guy that I interned with, I worked through, he was one of the professors at uh, the school that I went to, and his name was Dr. McKenzie, and he, when he wrote a letter, I mean, man, did he write a letter. It was almost embarrassing when I read it. I'm like, wow, I don't think I'm anything like that. <laughs> this is way better than I am. But what's cool about those letters is they typically highlight what's best about us, and t- sometimes we just need to go back to read a letter, Right? And be reminded. Because we do have unique talents and abilities. And those letters of recommendations aren't simply about our skills or our competence in a certain area. I mean, they are, but they're more than that. Because letters of recommendation get at our character, our values, who we are, why we would make a difference in our world or with a particular area of life. I mean, really, these letters of recommendation are about us, who we are at the deepest level. And that's why, as we're going through the process of adoption, we've had to get letters of recommendation. And the adoption agency doesn't care so much about my competency as a pastor or what we do for a living. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the things they look at. But they want to know who we are as a family. They want to know, is this a, a fit home for a child? Are we going to be the kind of uh, family that's going to help them grow up in a healthy way? It gets at character. It gets at who we are. And that's what, as Paul talks about these letters, he says, really, your faith, God intends for your faith to be a letter. A letter to the world around you. Of God's presence and God's activity in your life. And each one of us, no matter where we start, the process of faith, this journey of faith, God is beginning to write on your life. Your letter, and you have a calling. In fact, you and I were made for a divine life. You and I were made for a divine life. And I want to talk about these things here over the next few minutes. So what kind of life is that? We're going to look at four things. The first and the starting point, if we're called to divine life, it's kind of an obvious one, 
The first thing is calling, a life worth living, begins with God. Right? If there's a calling, there's a caller. So life worth living begins with God. Second, calling changes us. It gives us a new identity. Third, calling gives us purpose and confidence. And fourth, calling is centered on a life where we live with the Spirit of God, where the Spirit of God begins to fuel us and help us and guide us. All right, so let's take a look at Moses' life because I think there are a number of stories throughout the Scripture that are helpful, helpful to us about calling and how God calls. Moses was a man called by God. And if you're uh, familiar with the early on part of the Scriptures, this is the book of Exodus where we see and read and experience the story of Moses. He was called really to an amazing part In his world at the time, he was called to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Um, Now, typically, when we see these divine calling stories or texts, we're like, well, that sure would be nice if I would experience something like that. But I want to give you a little background before we read some of the text on Moses' life. Because Moses wrote the book of Exodus. And much later in his life, he began to understand the early part of his life. But during those first 40 years, or even the first 80 years of life, because he didn't have this calling encounter with God until he was 80 years old, he didn't know how God was at work in his life for a long time. I'm sure he had many days where he wondered. I mean, he could look back many years later and understand God filled in the blanks for him. But during those times, year after year after year, I'm sure he wondered. He spent his first 40 years, up, 40, uh, 40 years of his life growing up in Pharaoh's house. He didn't know that God had saved him. He didn't know what God was going to do with his life. He grew up as a son of Pharaoh. And ultimately he had to leave because he killed a man who was tormenting a Hebrew, which he knew, this is my people. And he had to flee. And then he spent 40 years in the desert, shepherding, getting married and raising kids and wondering, God, are you done with me? Are you out there? How do you want me to use my life? Here's uh, what we read in Exodus chapter 3. Here's Moses, 80 years old. Seems kind of crazy to us. At, At 80 years old, life's over. But he lived to 120. It wasn't quite over for him. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that through the bush, uh, or though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. So Moses has this incredible moment with God where God meets him, blows him away. And he says, Moses, you're in a holy place right now, and I'm going to give you a specific calling. I'm going to give you some things that I want you to do. And what was that? He had to go to Pharaoh 
and asked Pharaoh, the most powerful king in the universe, in the world at that point, asked Pharaoh to let the Hebrew people go. A pretty intimidating thing, but one that Moses had been uniquely qualified for. Remember, he grew up in Pharaoh's house many, many years ago. He was qualified in a unique way. Here's what Moses says. Even though he knew this, as he looked at his background, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And and they ask me, What's his name? And they wanted to know, uh, Really, Moses, who's sending you? Is this really God, or is this something that you've come up with, or is this somebody else? He says, what should, I, what should I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Now, some of us wonder, I am, what exactly does that mean? We'll talk about it in a moment. Moses was blown away. By this encounter with God. I mean, you and I would be as well. Fall to your knees, don't know what to say, right? And and many of us are saying, God, if you would just do something like this for me, then I would know what to do, right? Come and hit me. I don't think any of us are prepared for that. But God still speaks. This is unique, but God speaks to us when he calls. And we're we're gonna talk more about this. What can we learn and apply from Moses' experience? Because we can learn from it. I mean, the main thing is that Moses was made aware that he was created, that he was called for a divine purpose, that God had some things for him to do. And I believe that God comes to us. As we respond in faith, God comes to us. And he usually speaks softly to us, He speaks through other people. He speaks through our circumstances. But he speaks. And he tells us, I'm raising you up for a divine experience in this world. I have a part for you to play. You see, I am is the one who calls each of us to follow and to experience his way of life. And I am simply means, it's this this broad term that means I exist. I am the one who just is eternal. I'm bigger than everything else. I started the whole universe in motion. I am the one who created everything, and I created you. And I created you for a reason. I've got purpose in your life, and you have purpose value as you respond to my call. And that is true for every one of us, that the great God who made everything made us and calls us into a divine life and experience. Now, there are a couple of things that happen any time that a person is called. These are things that you can count on. The first is um, kind of a deep humility where you're like, not me, I I can't do it, right? It's not a calling out of our pride or our area of competence. It's an area where God says, you gotta come with me, and we, like Moses, say, say, "Uh, I don't think so. 
What did Moses say? If you continue in the text in Exodus, Moses says, you got the wrong guy. I can't do this. I don't even know how to speak. I'm a terrible public speaker. I can't lead the people. Choose somebody else. You got it wrong, God. Well, when you and I begin this journey of faith, there are going to be times where we're like, not me. And a lot of times that means, yeah, I think God might just be calling you and preparing you for some divine piece of work in the world. Secondly, there's always struggle. There's always struggle when you're called. It, it's not an easy thing. It's not a home run where it's like, yeah, I'm ready. There's struggle. Um, I mean, God didn't make you just so you would immediately say, I'm awesome. I'm God's gift to the world. I'm going to bring it. Just show me what to do. I had no problems in life. I grew up. Everything was great. I was a 4.0 student. I went through college. I dominated everything, top of my class, then blah, blah, blah. That's not most of our stories. God humbles us, and then we experience struggle so that he can begin to show us where he wants us to live and to serve and to begin to fulfill our unique calling. Um, I love the story of uh, Mike, uh, I think it's Donahue. He is the lead singer of 10th Avenue North. And we went to see a concert, 10th Avenue, uh, was, I guess a couple years ago in the fall. My kids loved it. Um, uh, and he told his story there, and I've read it online. So, you know, he's a you know, musician. I mean, they're having tremendous success. Um, but through high school, he was an athlete, a soccer player. He didn't even play music. And so, in his mind, he was headed to college on a scholarship to play soccer. And that's all he wanted. That's, that's what he thought um, was most important to his life. In his senior year, he and some friends got in a horrible car accident on the way to school. And uh, the, the, the story goes, on the way to the hospital, they lost his pulse a number of times. They didn't think he was going to make it. And then when he got to the hospital and had surgery, his vertebrae was broken, his face was smashed. Um, I don't know how many stitches he had. He was a mess. And the doctor said to his parents, Mike's never going to walk again. Um, He's going to make it, but he's never going to walk. He's not going to play soccer. And so he took, uh, I mean, it was devastating as he spent the next two or three months in a hospital, in a hospital bed where he couldn't move because his vertebrae had to heal and, and, and come back together. And the one thing that he asked for during that time, because he had nothing to do, was a guitar. And he started playing. In fact, he started playing so much that it became irritating to everybody around him. And that didn't, it wasn't then like he got out of the hospital, he's got his guitar, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to be part of a Christian band. No. He just started playing. He went to college. He was going to pursue acting. He had all these other things that he wanted to do. And God started to bring some friends together. Through circumstances, he started to see his unique calling and his way to express his faith. And I can relate. In my life, calling has happened through struggle, not through easy times. Um, You know, those early years in my 20s, as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I mean, 
I, I, I liked you know, a couple of the companies I worked for. I mean, the work was fulfilling, but it was like, I just, there's something else. The real struggle was just in my faith life because I'd made a commitment to follow Christ. And I was, I was just really struggling. I was struggling on how to live that out. And, uh, you know, just wrestling through times where I'd go out and I'd, I'd party almost as hard as I did with my friends in college. And I'd, then I'd just feel so horrible and guilty and just wondering, all right, God, how am I supposed to live this life? And then, um, so I'm like 25 years old and I'm just really starting to wrestle through this stuff. Um, I've got some Christian friends at this point. And some things are, are really starting to make a lot more sense about my life, and I'm trying to figure out that direction. And I get a call. I'm, at a, uh, I'm out in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'll never forget this. I get a call from my mom. It was a Saturday. And I was going to be out there for a couple of weeks. Um, I think it was middle part of those two weeks. And she said, you've got to come home right now. Your dad had a stroke. And we didn't know much other than he was not responding he was already in a coma. And so I got on the first plane I could, went back home, and I spent the next 10 days or so watching my dad die at his side. In the next few months, um, I mean, that was just a brutal time. I had no idea what God was doing in my life. And I cried out day after day, trying to understand, just trying to figure out, you know, what I was supposed to do. Um, And I didn't figure it out anytime soon. But within a couple of years, God showed me the way. Um, And for that, for me, that meant I had to go back to school and um, get ready for this part of ministry. You know what? Um, Ministry happens in every way of life. It happens right where you are. You don't have to go back to school for it. That was just my particular calling. God calls you to represent him in your work and family and at school and wherever you might be. All right, so let's, let's talk some more about that. Because it doesn't happen externally. It happens from the inside out. Calling for all of us changes us. I mean, that's how you know that you're in the process of calling. You're changing. Right? Are you experiencing some humility and some doubt? Yeah. You're probably in the calling process. Are you struggling? Yep. It's part of the process. Calling comes out of struggle. All right. And this is where we have to be careful. And in, in, in part of what Paul is talking about in this text. Um, because... In kind of in our world, or the way that we think religious, religiously, we think, if I am doing things right, God will use me, right? If I am awesome, if I am, like, just living out all these commands and stuff, then, of course, he's going to show me the way. Well, that's part of it, but he doesn't call us because he needs us. He calls us because he's working a process inside of us where we learn to depend on him And we know that it's not us, but it's him. And we get to be a part of what he's doing. Paul talks about the old covenant. And when we think of religion, I mean, there are lots of religious expressions where we can think of the old covenant today. And I'll uh, I'll give you a a couple of those. 
Because there's a big difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that Jesus brought. The Old Covenant is the one that Moses gave. It was good, right? It was a good thing. God gave him the Ten Commandments. He gave him all the stipulations that came out of it. But it wasn't sufficient. People couldn't follow it perfectly and justify themselves before God. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Here's, here's uh, what we read in Jeremiah. As Jeremiah talks about the difference between the Old and New Covenant, he says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of God after that time, declares the Lord. I will put, up, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now here's the difference. The purpose of the old covenant gave clear guidance to God's people. It was their way of life, and it was kind of harsh. And they kept kept breaking it. They kept making mistakes along the way. But the old covenant was never meant to bring them salvation. The old covenant was meant to lead them to God. Lead them to what God was beginning to do inside of them. It forced them to give up and to depend on God. That was the, the use and the purpose of the Old Testament or the, of the Old Covenant. And it was to point ahead to the Messiah, to the one God would send. Or the one that God would send to us. To pay for all of the brokenness in our world. And to show us the way to life and hope. And that's Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, I'm the one who brings the new covenant. Next week we'll take communion. That's what communion's all about. This new covenant that we have through Jesus' body and his blood and his words and the life that he wants to pour into us. And God's spirit is the gift of this new covenant to us. Because it's not outside, it's inside. So religious practices, there are all kinds of things, all kinds of ways that people can get trapped in religious rituals, right? Have you ever been to to a church where it's like, um, I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but I got to sit, I got to stand, there's all these different things that we're reading, but I'm not sure what they mean. Well, maybe if I learn how to follow these things the right way, God will be pleased with me. That's not it. Because there's a new covenant in Jesus where Jesus shows us it's about a relationship. Covenant means relationship. And you can't do all these different things to please God. When you open your heart to God, that's all he wants. That's the starting point for us to begin to pursue and to seek out and to find our calling, which is ultimately where we find purpose and confidence, where we figure out that I am, that God loves us and forgives us, and he encourages us to get close to Jesus, who shows us the way to live. It's not a list of rules or 
you know, necessarily commandments that we have to get right. It's Jesus and being in relationship with him. That's why Paul makes such a big deal out of this to the Corinthians. And I hope you'll, you'll take a look at the text. We'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4, and 5 over the next uh, few weeks. Here's what um, Paul says later to the Corinthians in chapter 3. He says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. And so Moses, he would come down from the mountain after you know, he was getting the Ten Commandments, he was getting all these stipulations for the people of God. This is the Old Covenant. He would come down and his face was radiant. So he had a veil. But that radiance was fading. Because even then, as the Old Covenant was being given, it was fading. Because ultimately it was going to be the new covenant that would bring people to God. But their minds were made dull. For this day, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So how do we pursue our calling? We open our hearts to God and allow His Spirit. As we we choose faith and as we say, God, I really, I want to know your way. The Spirit of God is the one that begins to help and direct. Um, I had an interesting experience yesterday um, one last story before we wrap things up, and then a couple of things for us to consider. Um, one of Kyle's friends um, is Jewish, and he had his bar mitzvah yesterday. And I've studied all kinds of Jewish background, uh, but I've never been to a bar mitzvah. And so we went yesterday, and we went to the, the, the service, the ceremony, um, which uh, it was like an hour and I think 40 minutes, and then there was a party later in the day. And it was, uh, it was a very cool experience. Um, you know, my, there's a lot that's in Hebrew, and then, you know, you know, then there's, you know, here's, uh, you know, the scripture read, not in Hebrew. And it's, you know, what happens in a bar mitzvah is it's basically bar mitzvah. It's a boy who becomes a boy of the commandments. So at 13, um, this Jewish boy is saying, okay, I am now committed to following God on my own. My dad's not responsible for my faith anymore. I am. And in the Jewish faith, they believe that in following the commandments, there's like 613 stipulations to follow. I mean, it's a huge, heavy weight. And I was thinking about that yesterday. Because I know this young guy, he's a great young guy. But I know that's too much weight for him. And what Paul is saying is that in the new covenant, which comes through Jesus, that's where we can begin to be, experience the grace and the freedom that God wants to have as we pursue a life of calling, where the Spirit of God is available to help us. Yes, the scriptures are really important. That's where we learn about Jesus and his way of life. That's where we learn about the background, background all throughout the Old Testament. But it's the Spirit of God who begins to help us as we search out. Is this it, God? 
Is this how I can serve today? Is this how I can fulfill a part of my part in the world? The Spirit of God is available to each of us. So a couple of uh, things for us to consider. First, have you received this new way of life in Christ? That's the starting point for all of us. Are you open to trusting and putting your faith in Jesus? Because that's what opens us up to this divine life where the Spirit is present and available to us. And second, um, what does that mean for you today? How can you start to pursue it? Last week, we talked about the importance of having some friends that we can pursue our faith with. Question, do you have a friend? You can begin, begin pursuing your calling with. A friend who knows you and loves you or wants to get to know you more. A friend who can encourage you and pray with you. And you know what is key in that? Simply that you're willing to tell your story to that person. We see the importance of Moses' story. I know how life-giving it is or it's been for me to share my story. God wants you to open up and share your story as well. And I know that he'll begin to show you the way. It doesn't mean there's not going to be struggle. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. But I believe God will be there and he'll show you. Pray with me, please.